Hello and welcome to Kingdom's Cornerstone News, a newscast produced specifically for citizens of the kingdom that will have no end, a kingdom even now in our midst. I'm Jamie Kiever. Today is Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. International Christian Concern is reporting six people killed by jihadists in the Democratic Republic of the Congo Wednesday in an article we'll link to in the description of this video. The article cites a prominent civil leader reporting five men and one woman killed in Beni territory, North Kivu province. Authorities suspect the allied democratic forces are responsible. The ADF is one of many terrorist groups identified to be wreaking havoc in the DRC, a predominantly Christian nation. Over to China, where a crackdown on Christianity results in over 100 incidents of persecution over the past year. The Christian Post is reporting a U.S.-based persecution watchdog agency uncovered documents detailing the efforts by the country's communist regime to forcefully convert independent religious groups into what the Chinese Communist Party determines is acceptable. The article, which we'll include a link to in the description, reports of home church invasions, arrests, and church demolitions. Chinese authorities have also removed Bible apps and public Christian WeChat accounts after implementing highly restrictive measures on religious staff earlier this year. Christians in central India are pleading with President Ram Nath Kovind for protection against radical Hindu nationalists. This comes as Christians in the region face increased threats of church demolitions from both radical and local authorities. In an article we'll be sure to link to on persecution.org, International Christian Concern reports Hindu activists from Vishwa Hindu Parishad have set a deadline of September 26th to demolish churches they deem illegal. The threats began in late August when the police began closing allegedly illegal Christian prayer halls, directing Christian leaders to present themselves to explain the nature of their religious activities before September 22nd. With local authorities siding with radicals, Christians there have nowhere to turn. Pfizer's COVID booster is causing a stir at the Food and Drug Administration. The Epic Times is reporting in an article you'll find a link to in the description. An FDA panel has voted against the booster for everyone, opting rather to recommend it to people 65 years and older. Now, the Biden administration announced last month they'd try to roll out boosters for everyone by yesterday. However, scientists who advised the FDA were skeptical on the need for boosters for the general public. As even a Food and Drug Administration slide said, the risk of COVID-19 for a healthy 30-year-old is just 0.0004% or 1 in 250,000, making a very substantial case against boosters. One voting member on the panel voiced serious concerns about a rare reaction to these vaccines of myocarditis, or periocarditis in young people. Again, we'll include a link to this in the description. We'll be right back after this short break. You know, ICC is an organization that serves believers at the, the meeting point between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. And that is a violent spot. And that's where believers are being raped and tortured and killed because they love Jesus. And we come in, we bandage these believers. That's our work. That's so much of what we do. But that's not all of the work because we also like to build the church in these toughest places in the world. We push the gospel out. And the last thing we do, look, we work in the U.S. Congress and we use the influence and the power of the United States to push back countries that persecute and to free prisoners. 
We have staff around the world where persecution is happening, and that means we can respond quickly to attacks on your behalf. We act as your hands and feet. We rescue families when their breadwinner is killed or imprisoned. We smuggle Bibles. We broadcast the gospel into the toughest regions, and we take care of the smallest victims of persecution, the kids. In the midst of bandaging and building the persecuted, we weep with those who weep. And we do this because we are one body of Christ. of gender is a pretty hot topic anywhere you look these days. And while our culture says there are many genders, as in more than two, and one can change their gender, the issue of gender within the church should be more clear, right? I mean, we have the Bible, and while there's a lot about gender and, and God's design in the Bible, it's a fairly controversial topic even within the church. And the controversy can most easily be stated within the following scripture. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, As in all the churches of the saints, women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Joining us to unpack what this scripture specifically is saying, and more broadly speaking, what the Bible says about this issue is Tim Beyer. He's the lead pastor at Faith Baptist Church in Maryland and comes on the show every month to discuss controversial and difficult theological topics, the most difficult I can think up. Tim, this one's pretty thorny. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to be here. One of these days you're going to throw me a nice big softball, right? <laughs> One of these days. All right. All right, so what do you think Paul is really saying here? Because on the surface, it seems to suggest Paul has a pretty biased take on women. But when you look at the totality of his ministry, it's not so clear. For instance, in Romans 16, he endorses Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. Mm -hmm. Tim, I looked up the definition of deacon just to be sure, and a deacon is an ordained minister, not typically the type of role within a church that stays quiet. What are your thoughts on this? There's a lot to unpack there. Let me first say that um, I have many brothers and sisters in the faith that I work with and partner with who see these different passages of Scripture differently. So uh, I want to make sure I honor them and tell you uh, where I uh, land on these Scriptures, not simply as a blanket statement for all of Christianity. You're mentioning two different issues here. You, you mentioned deacons, which, as you said there, there is a Sister Phoebe in the early church who was a deacon. Um, there are two offices in the church, deacon and elder. Um, deacon, sometimes we see in the original language there in the New Testament, is in the feminine form. However, an elder is always in the masculine form. So that's one thing to, to talk through. Uh, but you are right, Paul does endorse uh, women to minister like Phoebe. We also see Jesus who gave the message of the resurrection to women first and told them to go and run and tell everybody else. And so it's easy to look at this one passage of Paul, take it, amplify it, and then get scared of the rest of his teaching or the rest of the scriptures. Um, but I'll start with this. Scripture ordains two institutions, marriage and the church. Uh, marriage in the local church, and in both, in the New Testament, we see an ideal recipe for men to lead both of those 
institutions. Now I say ideal recipe because what if what in marriage, what if your husband is a wicked husband or if you don't have a husband, what is the wife just, just supposed to do nothing and let the fo children follow in wickedness? Obviously not, but that's a separate issue. Back to the church. Uh, the New Testament, in my opinion, uh, the New Testament is clear that it sets aside the office of elder, be it pastor, bishop, we'd normally call it pastor uh, in evangelical world. But when you look at the, the scriptures of Timothy and Titus, uh, we see qualifications for a man to lead in the role of elder. So what you have here in Corinth is a chaotic church. In, in, in ways of sin, in ways of uh, culture, in ways of how they got together in worship. You have a chaotic church, and Paul speaking to the chaotic church saying, you must have some order. And this is just one of the symptoms there where we see Paul talking to this early church saying, you know the recipe for men to lead, so let the men lead. Now, he says it in some pretty flowery language there that I think it's easy to take out of context and call Paul a bad guy. But if we look at the whole of the New Testament, the role of elder, I believe, is prayerfully set aside for a man to lead and to prayerfully teach the church. I see. Now, I've heard terms from really liberal people claiming the Bible is full of toxic patriarchy, often using <laughs> Paul as a prime example. What do you say? Is toxic patriarchy even a thing? And what do you say to those accusing Paul of this? Yeah, that's, that's a large, large question. Um, I, I'll answer by saying this. Power-hungry people has always been a thing. Uh, it's a human condition. Uh, we all want power, and when we get it, we don't want to give it up. Uh, we are in the flesh, lovers of self. We are people who distort truth. We are liars. We are sinners. And there are people who have platforms and love to soothe and scratch itchy ears. And so no matter what the issue is, there's always going to be people who want to hang on to what they have. Now, uh, that said, there are some things, as, as mentioned before, that God ordains for separate genders. But let's just get real, just simple with it. I have yet to find a man in my life who desires to go through childbirth and then complains because he can't go through childbirth and call it toxic matriarchy. That, that does, doesn't happen. Um, I know this is oversimplification, but we don't look at childbirth and say, ooh, look at that burden. I want that. Look at that pain. I want that. We don't say, I look at that responsibility and the sacrifice. I want that. I think one of the reasons where we are in the, where we are uh, in this whole conversation of especially gender and authority in the church and in places of, uh, you know, eldership is because we have a lot of women who say, I, I want to do that. I, I want to be, be an elder in the church. And, you know, I believe one of, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is the men who have been in those positions have basked in authority, basked in power, basked in control, instead of cherishing the burden of leadership, the pain of leadership, the responsibility of leadership, the sacrifice, the fact that God is going to call an elder before his throne and ask, what did you do with my church? I believe the true elder in leadership in the church is not power, but it's sacrifice. Uh, and the people who hold on to the power, it's toxic. I don't care what you want to call it, patriarchy or not, but it's toxic. But true leadership is the sacrifice that comes through the example of Jesus. And I don't see a ton of people lining up to go through that sacrifice. And if elders of churches would truly be that sacrificial, uh, I, I don't think you would see anybody envying our jobs. 
Tim, it's too easy to rest on the laurels of the church you're a member of. I've been to churches all across the spectrum as far as this issue is concerned. Some take Paul's comment that women should stay silent in churches literally. Some churches' official position is that Paul was talking to that church specifically and not the churches of today. How does a modern Christian navigate this issue? Yeah, very carefully. Uh, you mentioned that passage in 1 Corinthians, and we have two options. We can either A, take it fully literal, or B, figure out that there is some sort of figurative language in there or context that we need to understand. If we want to be fully literal about it, then we have to say to all of the females in the church, do not say a word, do not peep, make a peep, do not pray, do not sing, do not testify, do not prophesy, do not do any of those things. And we look elsewhere in the New Testament, and that's not even true. Paul was mentored by a woman. Um, he was he was discipled by a, a man and a woman. And so we, we have to say, all right, let, let's take a look at the context of these things. And so if you are in the context and in the figurative language of things, we have to say, all right, um, now we have to struggle through. Now, again, talking about what we talked about before, I, I believe scripturally the office of elder, that sacrificial, hard, not fun responsibility is put on men as God's design. And uh, one of these days, he's going to he's going to ask me and hold me responsible for everything that happened in the gathered church assembly on a Sunday. He's going to hold me responsible for that. So everything that happens in that room is kind of under my responsibility. You might want to call it authority, but I call it responsibility and the heavy weight therein. And so uh, under my responsibility, then, uh, you know, we have women who sing, we have women who pray, we have women who testify, we have women who give, you know, um, give uh, you know, all kinds of opportunities um, to serve and to lead. And so I, I, the way I see the scriptures, who has the ultimate God-given responsibility, call it authority if you want to, but responsibility for the structure of the gathered church in worship. And I believe scripturally that belongs to a man. And then if that just hopefully godly sacrificial man wants to give up some of that, um, you know, time to, to, to women to allow them to use their God-given gifts, then go for it. Um, at least that's how we work it out in our church. Excellent. Now, our culture says that men and women are equal in every way, but I have trouble reconciling this scripturally. Men are often physically stronger than women, and women are often more nurturing and empathetic than men. Now, I get it. These are very broad generalizations, but can you talk about God's design in the context of men and women? Biblically speaking, are we equal in every way? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing uh, your father and my father did not have the option to give birth, right? Uh, so since since I mentioned it before, uh, there are some things that are just non-negotiable. Uh, uh, there are some things that there's going to be a man who bears the seed and a woman who bears the child. We are we are created unique in our gender, We're created unique in our roles, if nothing else, just in that physiological way. Um, and so to then say, well, that's not fair, um, doesn't really make much sense to me, at least historically. If we look back to the Old Testament times, uh, if you wanted to be a priest in the Old Testament Hebrew village, uh, if you didn't come from the tribe of Levi, good luck. Like it's just it was God's design that if you if you were from another tribe and you wanted to be a priest, a man of the cloth, sorry, it just wasn't what God had ordained. That might seem unfair, but the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It, so boiling it all down, um, I believe the scripture shows us very clearly that all people are equal in worth. 
but we don't necessarily have equality in function, not in all functions. Like you mentioned, it's a broad generalization. There are some women who are, you know, uh, stronger than I am. And then there's some others who are more sensitive than women. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very broad um, characterization there, certainly. But it does not negate the divine design that God has given to us in his word. And I believe if we would just understand that we can be equal in worth, but different in function, that we could play different roles in the two institutions, family and the church. And if men and women would play two different roles, we would synergize and we would be able to come together and thrive. We would be a square peg in a square hole. If men and women would sacrificially live together in the way that God has created us, I think we are given room to flourish. Now, we live in a society that tells the church that that's not how it should be. Like, uh, you know, an elder can be a woman or a guy can be a stay-at-home mom. And, and, and listen, I have no problem with a guy staying home with his kids, but, an el but the society tells us that that's wrong, tells us that a mom shouldn't be stay-at-home and elders shouldn't just be for women. But, but, and I know I'm using two very vast dichotomies here. Um, that that we can just allow people to do whatever they want. But, I mean, scripturally, it might sound unfair if we allow the world to speak into our mind, but scripture is for our good, and God creates us and gives us roles for our good. And I believe if we were to honor God and the roles that he makes available to us, that we would be able to thrive and honor him in all things. I mean, think about it. Uh, you are not, Jamie, talented to be a professional baseball player, neither am I. And so we don't have that option. God did not give us that option. But to some of us, he birthed us men and some of us birthed women. And he's given us then the possible option to go through terrible sacrifice and the blessing that there comes in. And so there, it's, it's, it's not popular. But yes, I believe God makes us equal in worth, but not equal in function. Excellent. Now, uh, if you would, consider this scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 11. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Tim, I'm just going to ask flat out, is it biblical for women to hold positions of authority in the modern church? Uh, yes and no. Um, no, in the way that you're asking it. Again, as I mentioned, I just don't see any way around the role of elder. Um, always being in the masculine form in the New Testament, we see the ways that um, God gives us through Paul, um, the qualifications for elder. And so the ultimate responsibility to die for the church, just like he tells men to die for their wives and their family, is held exclusively for men to have that ultimate responsibility. Don't get me wrong. There are some days when I, I want to give up that responsibility really quick. Do you want it? Anybody, anybody want it? I will sometimes just in my weakness say, please take it. Um, so that's the no, but the yes is any other position, like that's not the ultimate, you know, elder office that's there that God ordains. I'll, you know, I'll say, go like, I mean, can I say you go girl, like <laughs> go and lead and teach and, 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 and but just make sure you understand that God, that God is going to hold responsibility, responsible, your pastor for how you're teaching and how you're leading. And so you need to work with your pastor to make sure that happens um, and, and that things are theologically in line and all of those different things. And so, yeah, I mean, I, um, again, let me just end by saying there are people who see this differently and I want to honor them and their, um, their struggle with the scriptures as well. And I still would love to partner with them in ministry and all different things. 
Um, but you, if you're asking me how I see the scripture and how I've wrestled with it and wrestled with it a lot lately, because as you mentioned, it's a thorny, thick, um, you know, topic right now. Uh, this is how I see the Holy Spirit teaching me. Tim Beyer, pastor of Faith Baptist Church. Tim, I really appreciate your honesty and willingness to put yourself out there answering these questions that are not easy or safe. I want you to know how grateful I am. We'll talk to you again next month. Thanks, Jamie. There are regions of great darkness in our world. Places that stir a sense of fear and anxiety when we hear mention of them. Iran, Iraq, Kurdistan, Afghanistan, Syria. of the world has given up on, where Satan's strongholds are firm and many have lost hope for restoration. But not you. Because of you, GCM is bringing hope to these areas of great persecution. Because of you, there are now close to 500 home churches in over 90 cities throughout the Middle East. Because of you, we are living proof that the worlds of Jesus stand true, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You have answered a call and we want to say thank you. Through your partnership of regular prayer and giving, you have become a part of one of the greatest rescue missions in the history of the church. And the rescue continues. If you haven't joined us yet, please consider becoming a partner today and bring hope to the hopeless. Welcome back to Kingdom's Cornerstone News. Not too long back, the New York Times released an incredibly thorough article that explored the dramatic rise in nursing homes' use of chemical sedation and how they skirt government reporting laws, even finding ways of keeping prescribed psychiatric medications from being listed in patient records. The article was written by Katie Thomas, Robert Gebeloff, and Jessica Silver-Greenberg, and we'll be sure to link to it in the description of this video. It's called Phony Diagnosis, Hide High Rates of Drugging at Nursing Homes, and we highly recommend you check it out for yourself. Now, I'm not in any way taking credit for the news gathering here. This is an explosive article that describes behavior by nursing homes and government regulators that you really need to be aware of, especially if someone you love happens to be living in a nursing home facility. Now, there's no question caring for a loved one suffering with dementia is an incredibly difficult task. Oftentimes, families turn to nursing homes to provide the care they alone cannot. But what if the nursing home is understaffed or the patient is particularly difficult? Well, this is when a doctor will diagnose a patient with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or something requiring a specific sedative medication. 
They prescribe that powerful medication and it puts the patient in a drowsy, less combative, sometimes comatose state, substantially increasing risk factors such as cardiac events or falls. Further, the nursing homes are required by the government to report how many of their patients are on these powerful psychoactive drugs. And the higher those numbers, the more it will impact their government-issued rating. The lower their rating, the less money they make. But there is one caveat. If a patient is on these drugs for schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or whatever that drug is actually made for, it won't count against their rating as that's what the drugs are designed for and therefore the nursing homes shouldn't be penalized. And this is the loophole nursing homes are using to put grandma and grandpa in a chemical straitjacket. So to keep those sedation numbers low, more and more patients are being diagnosed with conditions like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Now, this is a tough problem when you think about it. There's absolutely a labor shortage in nursing homes. People with dementia can sometimes require several people as they can get combative and they tend to wander off. So it's a real problem and so far, it seems, the only solution the nursing home industry has found is to drug their patients so they're no longer problematic. Now, I don't know what the right answer is, but I have spent a lot of time in nursing homes and with people who live there. I know what they're like, and this is a very sad story, and I hope by shedding light on the problem, we can somehow make it better. So what do you do if you have a family member who's living in a nursing home? Well, you can start by making unexpected visits. You can ask about the medications they're taking and ask your loved ones directly about the care they're receiving. And if you're lucky enough to not have anyone you care for living in a nursing home, consider changing that. And what I mean by that is you can volunteer at a nursing home. They're all over the place. Just go and speak to the director or find a church that visits and go with them. You'll make friends so easily as these people are hungry for friendship. At the very least, would you pray about it? I've done it before myself many times and it's incredibly rewarding. Finally, I want to again direct you to the full article, Phony Diagnosis Hide High Rates of Drugging at Nursing Homes, the New York Times article, which goes into way more detail than this short reader. You'll find a link to that in the description of this video. So that's another Kingdom's Cornerstone news, ladies and gentlemen, in the can. And I am so grateful from the bottom of my heart for you watching and making it this far. And finally, I know a lot of you catch the show on YouTube and Vimeo, but what I can't stress enough is how you can always watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News on our main website, kcn.dekeev.com, and there you'll find all kinds of links to the other platforms where you can watch the show. So please check that out. Again, thanks for watching, everyone. I'm Jamie Kiever. We'll see you next week.